They come. All the days of their lives have led to this moment. They will be given their chance at salvation. To succeed or fail. And if they choose wrongly, their reward shall be what it shall be. For it was ordained long ago in heaven that this day they would meet the Fool Killer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nexus of All Realities, a man-thing podcast. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, your guide to the weird, the wacky, and the often wonderful of 70s swamp-based monster comics. Today on the program... I'm pretty the fool! That's right. It is the introduction of the Fool Killer in Man-Thing number three, Day of the Killer, Night of the Fool. I was going to do a whole mess of uh, Mr. T jokes, but uh, now I've decided to keep all my A-team Mr. T references to a minimum, because I thought that might become a little bit tedious. However, just to get it out of my system... I'm pretty the fool! Okay, I'm done. Now, in addition to the issue, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the difference between parody and satire. But before I get to that, uh, I've gotten a few comments asking for me to finish off my review. Well, I don't even really want to call it a review. It's my thoughts on the R.L. Stein recent run of Man-Thing. Uh, I did issues one and two on, a pre- on previous episodes, and I kind of let it drop because I thought maybe it was becoming redundant. Uh, I was saying the same thing over and over again. But enough people asked that I continue, um, and by enough I mean two. So, you know, future reference, uh, apparently two is in my mind enough to form a quorum, so if you want to get me to do anything, just have two people ask me. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, I'm going to continue with that, and I'll do that right now. Man-Thing number three, written by R.L. Stein, with art by German Peralta. So where we left off, uh, spoilers by the way, uh, but let's face it, it's months old now, and if you were going to read it, you probably have already, so spoilers nonetheless. Where we left off was that Man-Thing, now back from Hollywood, to the swamp from whence he came, finds an old girlfriend, Lillianne, who is subsequently dragged off by pythons. You know, it happens. This issue, by the way, is called The Nexus of All Realities. Interestingly enough, that's also the name of a Man-Thing podcast. Uh, Oh no, I'm stuck in a self-referential loop. So, Man-Thing sets off to find the old father, who is the guardian of the Nexus of All Realities, go figure, and finds that old father is gone and that the door to the Nexus is open, which is literally a door. Again, go figure. So Man-Thing goes to find Old Father by entering the Nexus, where he has a trippy moment and meets Queen Irina, who has captured Old Father, and forces Man-Thing to fight in her arena to save him. Man-Thing must fight Tiny Bohemoth, but as he does so, he inexplicably changes back into Ted Salas. And because Tiny Bohemoth's honor will not allow him to kill a weakling, he kills himself. This does not sit well with Queen Irina, who decides to kill Old Father anyway, leaving Ted Salas to ponder what to do, as he realizes the irony that he has wanted to be himself for so long, but now would give anything to be Man-Thing again. So this issue does continue the trend of this series getting better as it goes along. That being said, I still have some problems with it, Uh, specifically the tone, as I've mentioned before. But the good stuff first. Stein has embraced the inherent weirdness of the character, and some of the history of the series. Uh, There's a nod to the Native American tribe mentioned in Gerber's run, even calling them the Forgotten Tribe, which is funny because 
they were brought up as a plot point in one story and pretty much forgotten after that. Uh, they're all dead, by the way, and they rise as zombies to attack Man-Thing. Uh, I forgot to mention that. Man-Thing's attacked by zombies at one point. Uh, also, there's the arena battle. This, this is something that has happened in the original run a couple of times. And again, it's a nice nod to the source material. And the trippy stuff is fun. Again, hearkening back to the 70s material. It's really quite well done. This is all well and good. But I just can't get past that tonal issue. Now, the portrayal of Man-Thing as a thinking, snarky, dad-joke wise guy is something I've gotten used to. I can't say that I like it, for reasons I've articulated in past episodes, but I'm willing to just, you know, let it be. But the tone is something I just can't get past. And what I mean by this... Well, okay, first of all, I want to start by saying the art by German Peralta is quite good. It has an eerie, haunting vibe to it, especially in the swamp sections. Perfect for a horror comic. And Stein's storyline is pushing towards this scary, trippy very mature direction, but it is undercut by the silly commentary by Man-Thing. Or rather, I should say Ted Salas, because let's face it, he's not Man-Thing. Uh, Man-Thing is a tragic, mindless, empathic muck monster. This character in this series is scientist Ted Salas in monster form. That's a big difference. Because Stein seems to want this series to be more Swamp Thing than Man-Thing. Oh, I said I'd let the portrayal thing go. Apparently I haven't. Uh, but yeah, it just feels like this series doesn't know what it wants to be. Is it a horror comic? Is it a goosebump story? Is it a comedy? Is Stein trying to emulate the Tales of the Crypt uh, comic book style of the 50s? I don't know. Uh, to me, it feels disjointed. But as I said, it does progressively get better as the issues go on. So maybe if Stein had a year or two to refine how he wants to tell the story, this tonal problem could work itself out. Or maybe, just maybe, he could embrace what makes the character unique and special and try not to force him what he thinks it should be rather than what it is. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break, and when I come back, uh, there'll be plenty of fool killing. I'll pity the fool! You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. Because you demanded it. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Parody and satire. I talk quite a bit on this program about parody and satire, particularly in how it relates to the writing of Steve Gerber. He was a master at this sort of thing, so that seems a pretty obvious thing to do. But I've never really defined what it is I mean when I talk about this. Now, to many, it probably seems pretty straightforward, but I feel the need to clarify. I think that too often nowadays, the term parody and satire become conflated and are misused from time to time, and that, in my mind, it sort of devalues what they are intended to accomplish. Now, I should point out that I am, I'm not a scholar on this subject. I'm not a professional satirist or a, a parodiologist. 
And I know that parodiologist isn't a word, but frankly, it should be. That being said, I am a guy who reads a lot. And as such, I pick up on things from time to time. As always, these are my opinions on this subject, and your opinions may differ. Uh, Okay, disclaimer out of the way. So what is parody? Parody is basically a spoof of an established property or idea for comedic effect. You take a book, a movie, a TV show, or even an idea, and you present it in a funny way that points out its flaws. Now that's parody in a nutshell, but it's not necessarily good parody. Now what do I mean by good parody? Well, take for instance the proliferation of movie movies that have been going around for quite a while for the last, I don't know, decade or so. Scary movie, epic movie, insert genre adjective here followed by the word movie. These are films that make references to other things, other recent movies, TV, and they don't do anything with it. They just make the reference and they do a little slapstick followed by some bathroom humor and that's it. As if just making the reference is sufficient. Well, it's not. Because while these things are technically parodies, they have no understanding of the material that they are attempting to parody. You see, a real parody, good parody, comes from a deep understanding of the thing you are parodying. In that way, you can make a detailed analysis of it. You can acknowledge its strengths while playfully spoofing its flaws. An example of good parody, parody done well, is Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein. First of all, its topic is specific, universal monster films of the 30s and 40s, specifically the Frankenstein films of James Whale. By not simply cramming as many pop culture references as possible in any particular scene, Brooks was able to focus and refine his comedy and create things like, you know, characters and a story. But in addition to this, there is an obvious love for the genre and for the films that he is parodying. Special care was taken to recreate and mimic the Frankenstein films, sometimes using the same sets, the same props, and many of the same camera angles. Brooks wasn't just making funny asides like a Bad Family Guy episode. He was creating a pastiche of that era and of that work that he obviously admired and had reverence for. And because of that time and care and understanding of the source, young Frankenstein becomes something different. It becomes smart. Yes, it's silly and the jokes are at at times over the top, but the humor comes from a place of knowledge and the jokes become something more than just hateful one-liners. They add to the overall appreciation, not only of the film you are watching, but the film it is making fun of. In short, you can laugh at something while still acknowledging that the thing you are making fun of is great. That's what good parody does. And I think that gets lost today in the rush to tear things down. So that's good parody. What's satire then? Well, satire is a little different. Satire is goal-oriented. It's an attack, a targeted attack, on some wrongdoing or fallacy with the intent to achieve change. And that last part is key. The intent to achieve change. While parody is a playful spoof to simply point out flaws or inconsistencies, satire wants to point out something wrong and actively wants to change your mind in how you perceive it. The most obvious example in today's entertainment are things like, you know, The Daily Show, John Oliver, Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers, etc. These are satirical looks at the news media, politics, current affairs, spoofing not only how the news is delivered, but the message it is delivering as well. But they are also deep dives into how we perceive or are told to perceive a particular event or tidbit of news. They attempt, through humor, to get us to think more critically about the information we are given and thus change our way of absorbing that information in the future. 
satire, in essence, gets us to covertly reassess our preconceived notions and beliefs. And it's important to note that satire, when done correctly, is difficult to identify as satire. The most famous example of this is Jonathan Swift's Modest Proposal. If you're not familiar with this, it's a 1729 treatise in which Swift proposes that to alleviate the hunger and poverty in Ireland at the time, the poor should just eat their own children. This is meant to be humorous, of course, but it was written in such a way, using eloquent prose and impeccable logic, that it caused outrage at the time. People thought he was being serious, and there was a massive backlash towards Swift, uh, a heated public discourse. But that's the point. It got people talking, especially the aristocracy. People were really, for the first time, publicly talking about the subject of poverty and the rather heartless attitude the general public had for the poor. It achieved its goal. That was satire done right. Now, again, today I think many people conflate satire and parody to the point when someone is doing parody, it's often described as satire. And while the two may overlap from time to time, they are not the same thing. For example, to use Man-Thing to describe what I mean, back in Adventure into Fear number 17, Gerber wrote a parody of Superman. This was the issue with Wondar, and it was quite obviously a play on the Superman mythos. This was not meant to say anything to somehow alter the perception of a cultural icon. It was just meant to take that cultural icon and give it a little twist for comedic effect and to tell a very interesting story. It wasn't meant to change how you think about Superman. By contrast, in today's issue, we meet a character that is very much a satirical take on society at the time and a cultural mindset that is still, sadly, prevalent today all taken to Gerber-esque extremes, as usual. Man-Thing number three, Day of the Killer, Night of the Fool. Cover dated March 1974, it was written by Steve Gerber, drawn by Val Mayer, inks by Jack Abel, color by Linda Lessman, letters by Gene Izzo, and edited by Roy Thomas. We open where we left off last time in the F.A. Schist campsite, where Man-Thing decides, quite understandably, to destroy the kill shack created by Wickham and Schist last issue. A couple of construction workers put up a valiant effort to stop him, but Man-Thing eventually tears the shack to shreds before throwing Wickham and Schist satisfactorily into the swamp. Meanwhile, Ruth and Richard bid farewell to the biker gang that was attempting to kill them last issue, but it seems they are fast friends now because nothing says friendship more than killing your leader and returning your drug money. So after a bit of banter, the bikers ride off, leaving Richard to slap his head and remember he forgot to ask for gas and that he and Ruth are still stuck in the swamp. Wah, wah. Later, the bikers, as they get out on the highway looking for adventure, are confronted by a man dressed kind of like the Punisher if the Punisher decided to be a pirate. The Punisher pirate turns out to be the Fool Killer, whose one objective is to kill fools. He asks the bikers where Richard Rory is, and when they refuse, they are good friends, remember? The Fool Killer deems them fools, and, well, kills them. It's what he does. He does so with a purification gun that fires a white light and disintegrates his fool victims. Then, Fool Killer pays a visit to F.A. Schist, giving him a card that informs him he is a fool and will be killed in 24 hours. Meanwhile, back at the swamp, a mysterious stranger arrives to give Richard and Ruth a tank of gas. That's nice. Later, Fool Killer tells us his plan to kill Ted Salas, a.k.a. Man-Thing, because he is, say it with me now, a fool. When he spies a helicopter flying overhead, thinking this is Schist, attempting to escape, he shoots it down with his purification gun. 
But alas, it was not Schist. It was a group of innocent flood victims attempting to escape. Well, that was a foolish thing to do. Foreshadowing. The copter goes down in the swamp, where the survivors are immediately set upon by alligators, as this is the norm in this particular swamp. But luckily, Man-Thing is there to save them with his signature move of grabbing the gators by the tail and hurling them into the distance, preferably against a tree. Man-Thing, a bit miffed by the Fool Killer's attempted Fool Killing, attacks him, forcing Fool Killer to blast him with his purification gun. And as he falls, Fool Killer says, exhausted, Aye, Father, the task is done. The Man-Thing is dead. Now, first of all, this is hilarious. Well, as hilarious as a man going on a killing spree can be, I suppose. But the Fool Killer's get-up and persona is really funny. And this kind of masks some pretty horrible stuff that he's doing. I'll get to that in a moment, but but let's start with the beginning. The part where Man-Thing destroys the Death Shack doesn't feel necessary to the story other than to remove a possible plot hole in the future. It, it stops people from saying, hey... Why can't we use that death shack to kill Man-Thing? It almost worked last time, and oh no, it's torn to pieces. Can't do it anymore. And the biker gang becoming buddies with Richard and Ruth is convenient. But they're, they're dispatched pretty quickly, and so no big deal, I suppose. But the real meat of this story is, of course, Fool Killer. Key is a play on the growing reactionary movement in the United States at the time. With all the 60s turmoil, the civil rights movement, the rise of feminism, Vietnam protests, on and on, etc., etc., there was a counter-counterculture rising, which included the foundation of the moral majority, uh, a group of middle-class white people with strong religious ties that complained that they were being marginalized, an attitude which, unbelievably, is still a thing that exists today. Now, in the next issue, when we learn more of Fool Killer's backstory, this will become more evident and I'll have much more to say on the counter-counterculture in that episode. But suffice to say that Fool Killer is undoubtedly a satire on that movement and the ideas that surround it. And everything about him plays into that, even the ridiculous get-up. Uh, I said in the, in, the, in the summary that it was a Punisher pirate, you know, to be funny. But really what it is, it's a variation on Zorro. Zorro being a vigilante out to help the poor and the voiceless, and so Fool Killer adopting that look is an obvious subversion of that idea. And of course his manner of speaking with its religious overtones is a direct reference to the religious... He sees himself as a self-righteous protector of what he considers holy and pious and pure. Family values, if you will. And this goes beyond simply being a parody because Gerber is attempting to get you to acknowledge the inherent hypocrisy in this kind of thinking, to look at this kind of thinking in a different way. When Fool Killer shoots down the innocent in the helicopter, this is a way of saying that no matter how righteous you think you are, by being quick to judge, you may, and probably will, make mistakes, and others may suffer for it. Fool Killer even says at one point that when he's done killing all the fools, he may be the only person left in the world. I mean, and I've said this before many times, Gerber is not subtle in his imagery and metaphors, but it does get a point across. As for the issue itself, this is really just a setup for the next issue's payoff. A good setup, mind you. And there are some interesting things here and a few funny gags that the card Fool Killer gives to Schist is fantastic. Uh, 
it says it, it's written like a business card. It says, "Fool killer, e pluribus unum." You have twenty-four hours to live. Use them to repent, or forever be damned to the pits of hell, where goeth all fools. Today is the last day of the rest of your life. Use it wisely, or die a fool. This does add something to the character. It shows that he does feel some sympathy towards his victims, as if he might actually be saying in some way, for instance, I pity the fool! But yeah, this is good stuff. Uh, perhaps a bit heavy-handed, to be fair. And to be fair, next issue, it gets a bit heavy-handed in her, but, <laughs> but still a fine example of a great writer using comics to make a point. Okay, I'm going to play another trailer, and I'll be back right after this. Hey, Brian. What's up, Paul? Do you like comic books? I do. I love the funny books. Do you like listening to people talk about comic books? Why, yes, Paul. I find that both entertaining and informative. Well, that's great, because there's a new podcast where each episode a famous run or story arc is discussed in detail in a fun and totally not rambling way. It's called The Collected Edition. The Collected Edition? That sounds intriguing. Who are the hosts? Well, that's the best part. It's us, Paul Matthew Carr and Brian Reese. What? Fantastic! I love us. We're awesome. Where can folks find this amazing podcast, Paul? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. The Collected Edition can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as online at CollectedEditionPodcast.com. That's great. I'm going there right now. Me too. Are we done? Yeah, I think that'll do. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. I do appreciate it. Next time will be the conclusion of this story in Man-Thing number four, The Making of a Madman. And I'll give some thoughts on uh, issue four of Stein's run as well. In the meantime, I always welcome your thoughts and opinions, so please keep them coming. Let me know how I'm doing, and at the same time, you know, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on these issues, on these comics. Uh, and if you get a chance... Listen to my other podcast that I do with my buddy Brian Reese. It's called The Collected Edition. You can find it at the uh, collectededitionpodcast.com, plus iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, I probably played the trailer for that earlier if I was smart, uh, but we are having a lot of fun doing this, and I hope that translates. And currently, we're thinking about doing a special episode at some point for the Nexus. Uh, Brian, one of his favorite characters, is Swamp Thing. So we're thinking about doing a swamp versus swamp creature comparison discussion thing. As you can see, this is only a vague idea uh, and, and only in the uh, planning stage right now. But I'll keep you updated on that as it evolves. Again, thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, bye. You've been listening to the Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. The Nexus of All Realities is a Daddy Elf production. Man-Thing and all related titles are copyright Marvel Comics, and no infringement is intended. The show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you head on over and leave a review, I'd appreciate it, and I'll be your best friend. You can contact the show via email at nexus at daddyelk.com or online at nexusofallrealities.com and leave a comment on individual episodes. You can also connect with the show on Twitter, at Nexus of All. The Nexus of All Realities is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained?
So when you're doing Powity, Powity? <laughs> Turning into Elmer Fudd all of a sudden. Be very, very quiet. I'm doing Powity. 